man. I saw it's like in the sixties there. We got a cold snap, buddy. It just, um, yeah, uh, it was like not last night, the night before it got down to like 45. Um, wow. And I was like, wow, it's very unse yeah, it's unseasonably cool right now. I'm jealous, man. It's going to be 109 here on Saturday. What? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> what? What part of Oregon are you in? Portland. It's going to be 109 in Portland, Oregon? That's what they're that's what they're forecasting. Yes. Oh my gosh. I mean, so uh, to me, you know, based on my limited knowledge, that seems like way out of character. It is. It, it, especially this early in the year. Oh my gosh. I just thought cuz you're closer to the coast it'd be and kind of north it'd be cooler, but nope. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, we we need to mix up the weather from your state and my state then. Yes. <laughs> well, one thing that's interesting is it would be interesting to see if these heat snaps have an effect on harvests, right? Because yeah. that's uh, notorious for these farmers, right? Is there's one bad event and then, you know, there's a monkey wrench into things. Yeah. 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 You have to start doing. Uh, Oh, you're an economics guy, Keegan. In uh, what do they call it? Futures trading or something like that, where for mm -hmm. like uh, different um, agricultural type products. Well, it may be soon with cannabis where they're yeah, doing futures on yields. So, yields in production and yeah. yields in processing. Oh. Never know. You never know. So, well, just I see Heather's joined us again today. So, essentially, Charles has done some diligent work parsing data these past, this past week, and I put together a user interface. And so now there's just a little bit of business logic left, and we'll have a rudimentary laboratory information management system put together. Well, congratulations, guys. That's cool. Exactly. So, like, there's still a few pieces to fill in, but yeah, it's coming together well. So, if you want, I could just show you at some point today just what's together. And then, yeah, maybe mostly of a, a talking day today because I've mostly been in the weeds with that. But, but I'm curious, have any of you had any data adventures this past week? Uh, Heather kind of grimaced there for a second. <laughs> observed, um, observed data. I'll be of the observer today. Uh, okay. okay. Um, so I I did a little bit of work uh, this week on my graduate project. Um, unfortunately, most of it's been writing. <laughs> so my introduction, everything for my paper. But I was able to, in um, Google Cloud and their AI platform to um, feed in my first set of data into um, the uh, market basket analysis algorithm. Um, I haven't really looked at the results much. I was just trying to get the code to work properly. Um, so probably by, by next week, I think, I will have some, some basic results to share um, if we wanted to, as far as some association rules that come out of the, the retail transactions at, at uh, some dispensaries. So um, 
So I'll, I might have something rudimentary to share next week. Okay. And so these are just sort of associations between purchases that, you know, you may not be yeah. really apparent on first glance. Yeah. So there's going to be um, association rules on two different levels. The first level will be on uh, association rules between the different product categories. So there's eight product categories in the Washington data set. Um, and then the other association rules will be actually down at the product level um, to see if any interesting relationships pop up there as far as, you know, um, complementary products being bought together. That one's going to be more challenging because the data set that needs to fill in, fill in or to feed the algorithm is very, very sparse, but it should be, um, be able to be handled in the uh, AI platform in Google Cloud. Um, but we'll, that one's going to be a little harder to tease some intel out of it just because some of the measures for these association rules become pretty diluted. Um, but we'll see. And that's part of this whole process is it kind of exploring this data. So we'll see what pops out. But to begin with, it's just going to be looking at the, the categories of the different products to see how those relate. Um, so, yeah. Let's, so, of course, I think yeah, the category is going to be promising. The sample name is going to be all over the board. So that may be difficult. Yeah. Do you have any data points on, like, total price, like the total amount, like, per receipt or number uh, of items by chance? Um, I mean, that information is in the raw data, but for the market basket analysis, it's, um, I, I'm just incorporating the, the product categories at the moment. Um, that particular modeling, not, not that I'm aware of that. I mean, you may be able to incorporate pricing in some capacity, um, but I haven't really, if that's what you're thinking of, I haven't really uh, considered that angle yet. Well, what I'm trying to get at is basically, in general, like there's maybe like low quality and high quality cannabis. Um, how you d differentiate the two, maybe it's just sort of arbitrary. So it may not be the best. Um, well, it, you know, keep thinking along those lines because this is just a starting point. And if it gives us a springboard into looking at some different angles, that would be useful. Um, you know, one of the things that I had sent some information um, to you, I think it was last week, and um, Charles and Heather, just to kind of fill you in, to do this type of analysis, you know, typically you do it in retail stores and you're looking for, I gave the analogy before, but if I buy peanut butter at my grocery store, then I might be also likely to buy bread and jam. And that's kind of what this algorithm does is it shows you those relationships. But um, I wanted to look at some representative dispensaries to get uh, kind of <clears throat> have them like treat them like flagship dispensaries that they might be representative of uh, of, of the industry. Um, and Keegan helped me out a little bit um, last week with some good questions and some advice on um, looking at dispensaries by <clears throat> median income of their zip codes because he had noticed previously that sometimes there might be a relationship between median income and kind of the product base at a certain dispensary and, and how much they're selling and things like that. So 
I use that median income as a way of, of trying to uh, differentiate some of the dispensaries. <clears throat> and that was helpful. Um, there, so I, I'm using that as kind of my basis for picking. Um, I'm, I'm, in my project, I said I'm picking three dispensaries. Um, but I'll probably actually look at more dispensaries and look at the association patterns of more than just three. But that analysis kind of helps. So thanks for that, Keegan, just kind of recommending to go down that path and look at those. Um, so, yeah, so um, that's kind of where I am right now. Um, like I said, I hope to have something to share next week, some rudimentary stuff. But um, Keegan, I know that we're meeting Friday yes. uh, here in, in uh, Detroit. So, but... <clears throat> um, I may have something to show you on Friday as, as well, but we'll, we'll see. I, awesome. I do, I do need to bring you up a little bit to speed on some of the more of the details of the project, but I don't want to. Yeah, that's, that's, that's cool. And yeah, just so everyone knows, yep. Yeah, so we're, we're attending Canacon in Detroit on Friday, which yeah, there's, it should be big and yeah, it's exciting. And so I'll get to learn a lot about the, the Michigan market, which right, I right. don't know much about. Yeah, it's going to be fun. And then, yes, and then basically I just started to think about, okay, so, you know, what are, what makes like the dispensaries look different, right? And so I'm sure you've seen them. So there's, you know, it's, sometimes you have the, the classier, the nicer looking dispensaries, then they'll maybe be like in a prime, prime real estate. Like, so for example, in, in Portland, like in, like I'm sure in downtown Portland, there's like some pretty nice dispensaries. And then, <laughs> no, man, they, they keep all that stuff out of downtown. Ah, uh, yes. All so the, anything that's anything that can be perceived as seedy, they move out to the to the neighborhoods. But yeah, there, <laughs> there are. Um, well, there's sort of like the the bigger chains now, right? There are places. You know that have like four, five. I think there's some places that have like ten locations, right? And they have nicer stores, and then they're like you know the smaller sort of like mom and pop places where they only have like one location. And so yeah, they're they're the chains are kind of like in nicer neighborhoods, and the stores are really nice and clean looking, and um, and. Um, yeah, I don't know about. Yeah, I don't really know that there's a big difference in pricing. I mean, um, what about just product, like what, the products they stock? Like, do they all stock the same products, or does it the store the, the chains stock different? I, I don't. I don't know. I'm not a you know like a well, huge well, exactly. connoisseur of these things, <laughs> and that's why we'll have to look at the data, right? Because it would just be anecdotal evidence. So we'll have to, to kind of parse this out. But um, I know they're, they're like there are billboards around town. You know, like <laughs> one chain. You know, like they're the exclusive carrier of you know Tommy Chong brand, and somebody's uh, <laughs> the exclusive carrier of Snoop Dogg's brand, and. Uh, it's interesting that you're talking about this, Charles. You remember um, I-75 here in in Detroit? Um, that's the main north-south highway that leads that passes right by Detroit and goes north. Well, I had to drive down I-75 yesterday to get to the airport to pick up my mom, and I had to go through Detroit. 
And to your point about these billboards, almost all the billboards on I-75 are all cannabis billboards now. And uh, it's been about four or five months since I've been down that highway. It is amazing how much it's changed in the billboards in that period of time. It's either, it's either cannabis dispensary billboards or lawyer billboards. <laughs> <laughs> so, there's a, so to your point, yeah, about just the advertising and everything, I, I noticed it as well here. Uh, yeah. I think that that could be an interesting study. I don't know how you'd get the data, but yeah, because people are always trying to find out, you know, does advertising pay off? Like what's the return on investment for advertising? So yeah. if you could think of a way to measure that, um, be an incredibly interesting question to answer. Yeah. Um, I did have um, a, a chart and I, uh, Keegan, I sent this chart to you via email uh, last week, but um, I've added some additional information to it or pointed out some different information within this chart. Um, and if, you know, maybe later on in the conversation, we can talk about it as a group because I I would just be curious what people thought about the data that I, I had in this chart. It's um, essentially uh, median income versus the um, 2020 dispensary annual sales. And you see some interesting relationships that emerge out of that chart. Um, uh, but anyway, it's something that if anybody's interested in looking at, maybe we can yeah. talk about it later. You can, you can share your screen if you want, and we can talk about the chart real quick. So okay. I don't see why not. Okay, let me uh, share a window here one second. Let me know uh, if you can see this. Uh, yes. Okay. All right, so... So on the bottom axis here, the x-axis, we've got median income by zip code, all right? So uh, this is an anomaly here, but basically median income and it increases and you get something median income up to over $140,000 up here. Um, and on the left-hand side, you see annual sales of from dispensaries. So some of the top selling dispensaries are up here around, a, a was it? 14 million, am I reading that correctly? Yeah, $14 million annual 2020 sales. So, and this is per your suggestion, Keegan, and thank you again for recommending I look at this. Um, so what we see is that the really high selling dispensaries tend to, well, you've got a smattering uh, of them. It goes down a little bit here, but the main high selling dispensaries here um, kind of fall on this, this, uh, the middle of the median income curve, or the maybe not the, the middle, but kind of lower uh, section here. Um, but I get a rep representation of the higher selling dispensaries across the median incomes by zip code, okay? So for my project, I'm gonna pick dispensaries that are in this oval, um, so I can get like a good representation across median income but what I think is interesting is some of these other areas. So this big block here on the lower left-hand side, that's where the vast majority of the operators are, right? The vast majority of the dispensaries operate in this lower median income area um, and they have lower sales, all right? So this may be the mom and pop mm -hmm. 
quadrant or whatever we call it. Here we have uh, lower annual sales, but uh, in higher median income areas. So also mom and pop, but in, in more wealthier areas. And then you get the ones that are just more successful regardless of median income uh, and they just sell more, right? They kind of bubble up here. Um, and you got this trying to kind of transitional area where I've got the little triangle. Um, and these are folks that are just uh, seem to be making their way up the annual sales uh, range. Um, and then you get a few outliers. So on the lower right-hand corner here, you see these guys are, again, probably mom and pop uh, shops, but in high income areas. What I thought was really interesting, and I don't know if you can see this and probably I'm obscuring it a little bit, but in median income, you kind of get this division right going up here. Um, so you see high income and lower income, and it, it seems to be like this kind of somewhat of a gap in between. Um, I just thought, I mean, it's kind of, um, an artifact of the data, but it just, I thought that was kind of interesting that, you know, median income, I mean, it's, I'm not saying haves and have nots. It's not that, it's not that um, uh, differentiating, mm -hmm. but it's, it's kind of curious. Yeah, it is curious. It just seems like that's, you know, it's just the way that uh, the cookie crumbled here. And um, we see a kind of two main groupings of, of median income. Um, but yeah, it was just interesting to go through this exercise and, you know, what I would like to see over time would be interesting is how much of these dispensaries as they mature, move upwards, right? Maybe they move upwards or how many of these dots disappear? Um, is there gonna be consolidation? And in the consolidation, I, I'm sure would probably push some of these uh, dispensaries to be more profitable um, as they get bought by other companies maybe. I don't know, just kind of, Thinking out loud, it was, it, was a, it was a fun exercise to do this. It, obviously, it brings okay. up more questions than answers. But I think these are these are helpful groupings. Like like how you identified like the 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 big cluster at the bottom, and I think you're right. Where those are people who are basically they can get property where they can find it. Maybe mm -hmm. they don't have the best location. Um, Really, they may not be paying that much for rent, and they have low sales. It looks like similar people in those same neighborhoods, like you said, are breaking out, and so that could even be those may even be chains in the lower income neighborhoods where they've just got maybe they were able to get a slightly better location. Sure, this. Right here, if you, okay, so see my oval? Mm -hmm. So the actual dispensaries that are in that oval are the records that are in this kind of yellow color. So the top grossing dispensary was this one in Wenatchee, uh, if I'm saying that properly. Um, craft, they're called Craft Cannabis in Wenatchee. Um, then you've got Main Street Marijuana in Vancouver. Um, but you can see these kind of top tier. When I say top tier, they're the highest producing across the median scale. But 
So here, what I noticed right off the bat is, so look, you've got Main Street Marijuana, and then you've got Main Street Marijuana East. So they've been around a long time. They were one of the first dispensaries in the area. Because Vancouver is just across the Columbia River from Portland. Um, okay. So uh, So they're they're well established. Yeah. And yeah, that's um so I would almost add a classifier to those as like zero or one, and I would give them a one for change. And, uh, and so it's going to be tough to identify these, but if you have a, a clever way, maybe the, if they each include their names, because you can kind of identify these as like the brand is Main Street Marijuana and they've got two locations. Yeah, that would be a good, um, a, a good um, like uh, differentiator between those. It, it would, yeah, it would just really be cool to monitor this over time um, just to see how this, how the market's starting to mature or develop. And then the question is, why do they break away? So I met somebody from, from Zips Cannabis and they're a pretty, they're a pretty big, well-established dispensary in Tacoma and, you know, it could just be... You know, one of those things is, you know, once you start, you know, getting your market dominance, then you're able to, to grow. And there's, it's hard for other people to get a foothold. Like everybody knows you, you've got a customer base. So like, what is it? You know, do they just have a really well-placed location? That's a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you were mentioning also about, um, doing some regression in this to kind of tease out those um some of those drivers behind this um it's not that's not part of the my graduate project but it it would be fun just to do that just to kind of start teasing out some of these variables um and this kind of work to know what the drivers behind market growth and development i mean this is stuff that you're probably familiar with keegan but um that kind of information is going to be very useful for um, uh, market consolidators, these these kind of people with big pockets that are going to go into this world and look to to pull the market together, um, I'm sure that they would um, be very interested in those, that kind of information. Exactly. It's just how do you measure it? And so, yeah. and this is sort of a wild idea, but at one point I. There was, I listened to an economics seminar and they were talking, it was like, it was a health one. They were talking about, oh, you know, it's not good for your health to live through certain proximity to, to a road. And I think they were somehow measuring the width of the roads, whether that was lanes or highways or something. So I wonder if there's any way to sort of Given the location of the dispensary, to know like okay, what like number of lanes road is that on? Like, is it on a two lane road? Is that on a four lane road? Mm. Um, because because basically, what I'm trying to parse out is, I've got a sneaking suspicion that some of these are just well placed, and then that gives them the opportunity for growth. Mm. So they're just 
like the like for example the green lady in olympia they've got green lady east and green lady west they're both almost outside of city limits because i don't know if you're really allowed to have something in like downtown olympia and so they basically just have one on each side of olympia so it's um they literally have the like the olympia market cornered um, so yeah, yeah no that makes a lot of sense and i'm sure that um, lots of retail companies have probably gone down this path many many times with this kind of analysis right i mean how do you choose the right location for a store um you know i'm sure that that's probably well documented approach to doing this kind of stuff it might be just worthwhile to um see what's what already exists in the liter literature um to see what we could snag and use right for that kind of analysis um a lot of this space i mean the the work that you're doing in the lab world is probably much more nuanced and unique but this retail stuff has been done many times over just in different markets um well it's just it's a, a hot area of interest so yeah. at one point someone who does a bunch of data analytics told me some like four big areas and one of the biggest areas is just the consumer so what's driving the consumer um a lot of people are just guessing um but like i said people are starting to uncover it but I think it's all interrelated, so. Yeah, um, so my current job at here at General Motors, um, I'm starting a new position in July, July 15th. Um, and uh, I'm going over to the customer experience team. Um, so I'm now gonna be doing a lot of work in this type of, in this space um, from as far as customer analytics and consumer behavior and that type of thing. So. Um, you know, what I'm learning there, I'm sure it could be applicable or what I'll be doing there. Some of it can be applicable to this space as well. Um, so yeah, should be interesting. So one thing that I've noticed, um, I think a lot of these places, they're, they're places that compete on price, right? They're, because when you're driving down, when you're driving to the grocery store, you know, every other block, there's a sign spinner, you know, uh, $3 grams, $1 grams, you know, mm. <laughs> um, they're, they're more sign spinners than billboards. Um, but yeah, <laughs> um, so there, there's that. And then I also, you know, I talked to someone and they were saying, you know, the big, a big driver now is, you know, like the, you know, the higher THC, which is probably not the, the low price stuff i don't i don't know again i'm not like this is not something i i study um a whole lot but i mean i think that's kind of like there's the, I think there's two sort of markets right there's mm -hmm. the people who are price sensitive and the people that want um you know they're um you know the, they're thunderbird of uh of, of marijuana <laughs> <laughs> That's a good, that's a great analogy. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, to, to that, to that point in this, this oval here, I think because of the median income distribution, uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see what kind of association rules we get with, you know, let's say this point here, 
and this point over here, the different kind of product associations that might come out of this, right? Are they more of the upscale market that you're talking about? Uh, or is this more the Thunderbird market over here? I don't know. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely get a chance to look at it. Hey, I had a question on yep. your data. So um, just I, from I the basics, um, is are unemployment benefits included as a source of income in this data? Um, I don't know. This, this is a good question. This this median income data came from um, the government census website, and um, I'm not exactly sure how they calculated the median income. But that's a that's a good question, and I'm glad you asked it because I should I should have a, a sense of how that data was developed. It's not common sense because I mean I browse Reddit a lot, so just speaking to your point about THC, I mean unemployment and even just Medicaid benefits are something that can just allow somebody to still um, use cannabis as a, a method of treatment um, for their pain or or whatever. But high percent THC, at least in the state that I live, is not necessarily the most expensively priced of uh, cannabis flowers. That is, so. Um, but yeah, anyway. Uh, so unemployment can make that happen. I just don't know if 40,000 is even achievable on unemployment benefits in that area, but it could be almost achievable here because of our special circumstances. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. And Heather, you're in uh, Colorado, right? I'm in Maryland. Maryland. Oh my gosh, wow. I was not even close. Oh, I thought for some reason you're in Colorado. So you're in Maryland, okay. That's okay. Yeah, I mean, so percent percent wise, I mean, I can get like usually the higher percent THC I can get from a particular um, carrier, and that's usually the cheapest, believe it or not. But um, yeah, it's we have way overpriced stuff for no reason, like eighteen percent, twenty two percent THC. Come on, sixty five dollars for an eighth. Please. Yeah, you're gonna get the hustling, right? That's just that's just gonna be people trying to maximize their their. Their, their profits, that's gonna happen re regardless. Um, that's interesting to hear about the price points though in Maryland, that, um, I'll look to see if there's any Maryland data because that's just, I mean, it's anecdotal, but it sounds like quite different than what's going on in Washington or Oregon or California. So, yeah, um, it's a good observation. Yeah. That's why it's important um, you know, to have these types of meetings because uh, especially in this market, right? And, and in different states and how it's, it's evolving differently, it's, it really is interesting to get those perspectives. Well, it's wild because I mean, I mean, what other good is, well, I'm sure there's others, but you know, there's like different state markets and there's some overlap, like, so maybe like an equipment producer in Colorado will sell to people all over the country. But there's a lot of, you know, little medium-sized businesses all over. Um, and the different regulations obviously have an effect on the market outcome. So it's I'm interested to see, okay, how many supply, like how many suppliers, how many producers are there in Maryland? Because that could be an interesting data point is 
So that's something, that's a reason that a lot of people were attracted to Oklahoma. It was the, it's the highest number of cultivators per capita. Wow. So all like the equipment producers, like all the equipment manufacturers, we're all interested in, you know, serving the Oklahoma market because you've got some, I think there's 7,000 licensees. I forget if those are all cultivation, but there's thousands of cultivation licenses. So they all need soil, fertilizer, mm -hmm. pots. Um, so right. accountants, you know, you, you name it. So they, um, so there's a lot of, you know, demand for services. Yeah, that's... I was gonna say that's hard to believe. I mean, I feel like either Southern Oregon or Northern California must have the most producers. Well, what my hypothesis is is let's take California for example. I bet you it's hard to get a foothold there because you're going to be competing with people who are well established and may have incredibly large operations. So. And they're probably competitive. So, you know, it's going to be tough to set up shop there. But, but other places, you know, it may be easier to enter. And then what I'm also interested to see is, okay, like what's the persistent rate? So, you know, just because there's a lot of licenses now in Oklahoma, it may balance out in a couple of years. So... You know, it may reach an equilibrium. So we'll see. So Heather in Maryland, what's the um, uh, what's the status? Is it um, just medical marijuana that's legal, or is it correct? Correct. Okay. Yeah, and that's completely political, as far as I can see. That is so. We have these, you know, we have a number of licenses that can be distributed, and some of the. Uh, those with the heavier pockets are still doing, you know, trying to enforce uh, higher prices and it's just silly. But anyway, so yeah, medical only. I'm a medical card holder. So okay. people just, the, the generals, I mean, I don't want to say general, but I would say the majority view, at least on Maryland, Reddit for cannabis is that they just, they want legalization so that they don't have college park cops tasing people just because they have um, cannabis on them where they vaped, you know, that still is happening. But looking from the business standpoint, they don't want to disturb anything because their favorite dispensary is doing fine or their their host of strains that they use is, is consistent and they just don't want to rock the boat. So it's a, it's a double-edged sword over here. So I don't think legalization is going to happen even though we had Virginia can you imagine Virginia legal, like they're looking to, I thought that that was like on, like happening right now. I'm like, okay, so we're never going to do that. Never. I get a feeling that as maybe as people from Maryland might start crossing state lines to go get better deals, it'll, it'll even out eventually. I don't think they can hold on to that control for as long as they would like. Yeah. I mean, I wish, you know, but go ahead, please. It just it just shows you uh you know market forces right um because 
yeah, you know, like you said, people just go to Virginia, then, you know, Maryland's going to realize they're missing out on some tax revenue, and then, mm -hmm. you know, they may change some things at that point. Yeah. yeah. Well, incredibly interesting. So, um, well, should we take 10 minutes or so and just look at uh, the the laboratory information management system so far? Be great. I'm excited. All right. So just keep in mind that we're still working on a bit of the functionality, but let me get this spun up real quick, and then I'll just give it a quick demo. I'll just go ahead and share my screen and we'll just uh, get this spun up. So, get signed into a mock account real quick. Create an account. Your graphics are very professional. <laughs> oh yeah, just I uh, I think uh, I think art's important, so wanted to incorporate a little. Okay. So first things first, we'll just get this account just set up with a, an organization real quick. And so everybody can just use it for free and then if they need integration with the state traceability system, then, you know, we can help them out with that. So, really, I'll just sort of run, run you through the, you know, the main data points here that the laboratory collects. Um, so, everything really, you know, evolves around your analyses. So this is where you're going to, you're, you know, you're basically just going to, you know, do, you know, you know, 
so you're essentially, you know, going to have your, you know, your cannabinoid analysis, and you'll add analytes. So analytes are the compounds that you test in your analysis. So, for example, you know, you may have, you know, THC. Um, you know, there's not going to be a limit to that. The LOD is the lowest order of detection that the lab can actually detect. So, for example, it may just be, you know, 0.01%. But it's just going to be the anything that they measure that's lower than 0.01%, they're going to report as non-detected. Because the way you know, science works is, you know, you're always trying to, you know, disprove a, a negative. So, you know, you can, you know, you can prove that there's something there, but, you know, you can never you know, disprove a negative. So it's always got to be, you know, non-detected. You, you can't, you know, firmly, you can't, you know, 100, you can't 100% say that there's no THC whatsoever, but you didn't, you didn't detect them. The LOQ is the lowest order of quantification. So this is what they can actually quantify. So this you would expect to be slightly above your LOD. So anything above the LOQ, they can report to the client. So they can just put that on their certificate and that's the official measurement. If it's between the LOQ and the LOD, it's technically an estimate. So they have detected something, but they can't quantify it. So different laboratories will approach this differently. Some will report it as a non-detect. Others will report it as an estimate. Here in Oklahoma, I believe the they actually have it regulated that they have to put it on their certificate as less than the LOQ. The analytes. Um, and then just a couple formalities. Uh, you know, you'll have areas where you keep things in your contacts to keep track of the your clients that you test test for. Then of course you need scientific instruments. And so this, these are what are going to be doing the analysis. And so what's critical is they'll be spitting out data to a certain place in your network. So typically you'll specify your data path, um, you know, So there'll typically be a path to your instrument's data, and then this will be collected intermittently to, to stock up your measurements. Um, so, you know, there's just a few things here. For example, people will need to keep the instrument maintained and calibrated. Instrument is technically a piece of inventory. Um, but 
you know, of course, labs have many pieces of inventory, so we need to keep those well managed. But back to the instruments. So you've got your instruments performing your analyses, and your instruments generate measurements. So your measurements will be for a specific sample, and they'll be for a specific analyte. So this will be your measurement for THC, and What's going to happen is the instrument will measure your THC. It may measure it in 600 parts per million. You've weighed out, you know, let's say half a gram of cannabis, and you've now diluted it by a certain factor. The standard method is a dilution factor of 10. So you've now done your analyst measurement and you've recorded your instrument measurement. You now apply the analyte's formula to get your final results. So your results will be your um, you know, so the, I may need to add a label here, but you know, your result will be your, you know, your, you know, your 20% for your THC or, or, you know, maybe your, you know, your 0.3% um, if you're, if you're growing hemp. Um, so you've got your results and then these are all for your samples. Um, and so the, basically the final piece that's needed is to generate a certificate for these results. So that's the, the final piece of business logic that I need to finish. And so basically what you'll do when you, you know, click, you know, create certificate is it will then get the sample data points. So that will get, you know, your sample name, your sample ID. It will get the contact information. So that way you can put your contact's address, city, and information on their certificate. And then it may even grab some project variables. So a project is a group of samples sent in at a specific time by the client. And so then this may have a transfer ID. So, for example, in Oklahoma, all samples need to be recorded. So whenever a client sends you a transfer, there will be transfer data. And so this will just be the organization that it's coming from, as well as information about the transporter. So these are all the data points that the laboratory works with. So I've basically just put together a simple, what they call a CRUD in the software world, which is create, read, update, and delete. So 
now the you know a lab could you know create read update and delete data for all of these data points so it's not a complete lens like i said there's still a lot of a lot of business logic that needs to be written for example the next thing that really needs to be tackled is a coa generation mechanism but we're you know well on our way to having something functional that labs can use and um you know there's there's traceability support so that way if a client's integrated with metric they can see their packages their lab tests their locations transfers and settings i've written the logic for say processors and producers and potentially retailers to also use the platform primarily just to send samples in for testing uh, that functionality got put on the back burner because at the moment i'm just trying to finish everything needed for the you know for the for the labs that's and, nice work oh thanks paul um just just kind of putting it together bit by bit. Um, so, you know, so that way it's primarily targeted towards laboratories that are operating in states that are using metric. Ideally, do you have a question? Well, um, looking at from the perspective of an outsider um, going through this, and I'm sure you guys have probably already thought about this, but um, you know, there's obviously uh, quite a lot of effort that lab techs will have to do to, to you know, make the data entry stuff on here. Um, have you thought about um, kind of like creating menus that are pre-populated templates they can use over and over again? Excellent, excellent question and suge good suggestion. So have thought about doing essentially what we call worksheets. So having exactly templates or worksheets where say you know a client or say an analyst creates a project you know ideally like like you said some of these things can be pre-populated and perhaps you could even you know print off a a form whether that's you actually print it off or whether it's just a digital form so that way that way yeah analysts can use worksheets because a lot of laboratories are all already familiar with using worksheets. A lot of analysts are familiar with using worksheets. So it is, it is a worthwhile mechanism to, to collect data. And so I think it is worthwhile to include some sort of worksheet creation some sort of worksheet generation tool that can also you know feed data back into the system that's really cool yeah good work guys yes and i want to give a shout out to charles who's really done the heavy lifting to actually write the routines that parse the instrument data 
So when you're building out a project like this, there's there's what I like to I consider it three different aspects. So in the software world, they might call it model view controller, whatever you want to call it. Basically, I call it, there's your user interface, then you've got your business logic, and then you need something to glue them together. And then I call that the API. So the user interface is coming together. Like I said, there still needs to be some you know, interesting features here to, to create certificates, but that shouldn't be too hard to do. The business logic, is a lot of it is getting written. So here, analytics is a Python module and there's a limbs module in there. And this is where Charles has begun to write the business logic for collecting results from instruments. So for example, we're collecting results from Agilent VCs from, um, to do residual solvents and terpenes. And Charles has written a routine to import heavy metals. And so just to show you, you know, what we're actually parsing here, we can look at some of the test data. Not sure. But this is sort of a typical data file that would be spit. We're not spit, but this is a typical data file that would be generated by an Agilent instrument. So or maybe for legacy sake, things don't change much. Um, so between the different years and different versions, this is generally what you would expect. And you know, that's that's not a bad thing. So maybe they did they designed their their data files that way, so that way, you know, scientists can continue to collect these with the you know, the data collection routines that they may have written a long time ago. And in the laboratory, it's important to not break things that are working, um, especially if they're being used, you know, in production to do analysis. So long story short, data files have not changed much over the years. And so sheet one, you generally just have some of the sample identifiers. This is where you really get your sample name. And then you have many tabs here that are related to you know your actual instrument. Just curious, I mean, how many um, instruments and their associated data files do you think you'll have to accommodate? Well, we're trying to do six off of the bat. So that would, let me get this right. So that would be residual solvents, terpenes, cannabinoids, pesticides, 
heavy metals, and microtoxins. So you can screen for microtoxins through the LCMS MS. The pesticides are also through the LCMS MS. So those data collection routines are similar, but they have different compounds. And so here I'll show you the similarity here. So this is a data file for residual solvents. So if you look here on the compound sheet, you'll see the name and I just put in fictitious amounts, but these names, whoops. Um, these names are your analytes, so propane. If you look at the terpene data, you'll see that the workbook is quite similar. In fact, it's laid out the exact same, except on the compound sheet, we now have different compounds. So we now have terpenes. So when we import these in, importing in terpenes and residual solvents, the logic is the same. We just have to control for the analyte names. So we just have to match the analyte names up appropriately. Some of the data files aren't quite the same. So as Charles found out, the, the heavy metals looks quite different than the rest. And, and then the pesticides and microtoxins will also look different than the rest. Um, and we are tentatively going to add a seventh, which would be importing microbials. So that would be when you screen for microbial contaminants, you do it through qPCR and qPCR can generate a data file. I've never parsed one of these before, but um, but essentially, it's you know just an Excel file, um, and you know we're, we're basically going to need to read this in, apply a good bit of logic, especially to the micro and then yeah, get this data stored. So to answer your question, we're starting off with a handful and we're sort of going to add more as laboratories demand them. But we figured, you know, we could start with the high demand instruments. And so I would like to add some Shimazdu instruments. I've met um, a couple of contacts from Shimazdu at Canacon, so I'm trying to work that out. We've got some Agilent examples. So depending on the model of someone's Agilent HPLC or Agilent GC, we can import their data. 
thanks to Charles's diligent work, writing the data collection functions. So now, now is really just time for really the glue plus a little bit of automation. So really, so we've got the user interface finished. The business logic, Charles has finished a good chunk. I still need to write a little bit to create certificates, but that's on the agenda. And then we'll essentially leverage an API. And so the, all this API does is facilitates use of the business logic, either through the user interface or potentially programmatically, if somebody wanted to, you know, make requests to the Canlytics API. So I've learned a principle, sort of the API design. And so really I just broke this whole project up into, okay, what are the data models that people need to keep track of? And so then each data model is essentially an API endpoint. And I don't think this one's implemented yet, um, but basically it's just going to allow people to get, update or create and delete data. And so you can now interface with, well, once I've finished the API, you'll be able to fit, you know, interface with all of these data models. Each one will have a handful of more than a handful of data points. And then we can also leverage all of the business logic. And so it's almost a fully functional limbs at that point. Well, I think it's fully functional at that point, but then the uh, you know, the cherry on top is you can add a little bit of automation so that way you can say you can write a script that will use the Canlytics module, collect data from your instrument and upload the data through the API. And then you can look at it in your user interface. So it's, it's got all the pieces to, to be a to be an incredible system just needs just needs a couple finishing touches and so this coming week I will be touching up the API and hopefully it'll be fully functional um, you know by the next time we speak so very cool last week we promised to get the the instrument parsing done that was done thanks solely to charles because i've been like i said i've been just trying to get this user interface up but i just yeah, can't thank charles enough because now we can read in the data and next week we can get this thing generating certificates it's pretty cool. Um, so this will be offered as a web service? 
Exactly. So I originally was was building it out as a desktop app, and then I realized that really the only desktop functionality you need is to collect data from the instruments. So eventually I figured, okay, why not just make it make it into like a web app and then just have a small little either script. I'm I'm gonna start off with a script, but I may like to have just a almost a tiny little standalone desktop app that all it does is collect results from your scientific instruments. Sure. That could be a good offering. Um, so one of the things that occurred to me while you're talking through this is if it's a web service. So uh, the, the angle of privacy, right? Um, so different labs that buy your product, um, they're probably going to want to, you know, insurances for privacy and their own data and that sort of thing. Um, so I imagine you've probably done a little bit of thinking about that, but I know at General Motors with the OnStar app where we track vehicle telemetry, the customer has to opt in for that. Um, and we all the data we collect is anonymous, right? We can't tell who who owns the vehicle or any of that kind of stuff. So it's we respect the other privacy. But at the same time, we get to aggregate that data and use it for other things. Um, to help customers out. So, um, you know, it's just something to think about for this service, right? I mean, there's going to be tons of value in aggregated data behind the scenes, but it probably would have to be anonymized in some way. You hit on a, an interesting point here is, so, you know, obviously labs, they want to keep everything private. And so, of course, you know, we respect everybody's data with our privacy policy. However, if a lab wants to set up their very own analytics implementation. So that way they can leverage all of the functionality of analytics and they have oversight over their own database. Then essentially, I've, so analytics is open source and I've written quite detailed instructions here on how you can get analytics up and running essentially in looking for the so you can get analytics up and running in a docker container okay. so anywhere you can run a docker container you can run analytics so cool. i'm running it just in the cloud just to offer it as a web service to anyone in the world and more is you know, so it's the Kinlux platform and it's almost an example of, yes, so this can be done. We're doing it. You can use ours if you would like. And if labs have the know-how and a lot do because a lot do have uh, technical staff, a lot are building out their own limbs. So we've provided this so that labs can spin this up and then they can serve it from their they could either serve it from their own cloud instance. They could serve it from an on-site server. You know, you name it. It can be done. And so 
So we're basically, we've, we're providing some, you know, something for everybody. So, you know, the labs that want to do it themselves, we're providing, you know, the infrastructure for them to do that, and and the guide, and if they need a little support, we can provide some support. Very cool. And and then exactly, and then for the people who need just the cookie cutter solution. They just need something that works out of the box. Then we're, you know, hosting our own implementation at console.canalytics.com. That way you don't have to have a technical staff to get off the ground. Mm -hmm. You can get started in five minutes. You can collect all your data. Then you can either import your data or say you're ready to go, you're ready to start your own implementation, you can export all of your data, import it into your new implementation, and then you're off to the races. So. That's great. So you, it's, you can onboard uh, smaller outfits and as they grow, you can accommodate their growth. Exactly, and so we're sort of leaving, you know, the door open for some, some new additions. So for example, I have planned, but have not yet implemented in invoicing, you know, an invoicing endpoint. So that way you can keep track of your invoices for your projects and, you know, your, your samples. So that way you can, you can send invoices to your clients. I, I thought that one was not mission critical, so I I pulled that one for the time being, but that one can easily be added in into the future. And so as Analytics starts working with more and more laboratories, hopefully we can find out what each laboratory's unique needs are, so that way we can start improving the platform, adding more and more features, adding more and more data points, and making the and making testing as simple and easy as possible. Uh, definitely, you can see you guys put a lot of thought into this. It's uh, pretty neat. Um, do you have any what they call a mean viable product? Right? Um, do you have anybody that's kind of testing this for you yet, or getting feedback on it? Yes. So we're working with a laboratory here in Tulsa, essentially just doing early stage feedback, just mm -hmm. finding out, okay, you know, what data points do you need? What's your ideal workflow? Mm -hmm. So exactly, so we're trying to exactly get the, the minimal viable product out. And really the last step, well, there's two last steps that are needed. One, Charles has written the logic to to parse the instrument data. Now I just need to write a script to automatically upload those measurements. So that way, you know, that way people don't have to sit here and tediously type in measurements. Those are just going to be flowing automatically from the instrument. And then the other final piece is actually generating the certificate. So these, the certificate of analysis is the product that laboratories are selling. 
essentially. They are, they're in the service industry, right? They're providing the analysis service. How do you know the analysis was done? You get a certificate of analysis. So ultimately their certificate is what signifies that everything's been done and the certificate needs all of the data points on there and it needs to be generated in a simple and easy way and delivered to the client. So we've approached this as we just need to collect all of the data points as simply and easily as possible. And so now I'll in the coming week be writing a COA generation routine. And I'll put this in the Canlytics module. And basically what that's going to do is it's just going to take a template whether that's a Word, an Excel, probably start with those two. So just in a Word or an Excel template and use like Jenga style. So Jingo would just say, oh, you know, project ID goes in between like two squiggly lines, two, two curly brackets. So we'll do some Jenga style templates and then actually generate a certificate. So that would be your PDF saying that the analysis was done. And so that is the final step in to generate, to do our, you know, our minimal viable product. Because so once you can take all of the data points, you can collect your measurements, and then you can generate your certificate, then you've done the laboratory test from start to finish. You've you know, received your transfer, created your project, created your samples, added your analyses, tested for all the analytes, collected the measurements, and then you issue your COA. And then that will just be essentially a, a URL where your client, it'll be a private, secure um, URL that only they uh, will know. And so then they can get their certificate and that's what they're looking for. So that's, that's what the producers and processors need because they need that certificate to be able to do wholesale their, their products uh, to the retailers. So that's what it's all about is, is generating the certificate. So we're almost there. And like I said, I would have loved to have this finished today, but Rome wasn't built in a day. So we're going to have to keep tinkering on this through this next week. It always takes longer than you think. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, congratulations. Uh, I don't know how, who else you've shown this to, but it's really, really cool. It's... um. And even from somebody who doesn't really know about the lab world, just looking at your um, your uh, navigation bar on the left-hand side um, and where you just kind of walk through that, it's almost self-documenting what it does, right? I mean, I don't know what um, an analyte is, but I can see the process, right? Um, so that's, that's cool from a user's perspective. Of course, these are going to be lab people and they're going to know some of these things already, but... Um, it's just neat that it's kind of almost self-documenting the process. 
Exactly, because, I mean, that's the whole philosophy here at Canlytics is we think that cannabis testing should be simple and easy. It just, there's no need for it to be complicated. It's just, you're just doing analyses. You know, you're going to have to take some measurements and record these, but, you know, it doesn't have to be complicated. So, so yeah, so, you know, so we put in a lot of thought thought about, okay, what are all the data models you need? What are the key data points? And you know, we've put together something that we hope is simple for people to use, but now we need to get people using it or in this laboratory more. So that way we can, yeah, just keep, yeah, keep improving. So, so it's come a long way, but hopefully we're uh, providing value to laboratories. Awesome. So, but, but let's go ahead and start wrapping up here because I see that we've gone quite a bit over, but, but thank, yeah, thank you for your enthusiasm because yeah, it's exciting. It's, it's been a long time coming, but I think we're finally close to a solution that laboratories will get an, an enormous amount of value out of. Yeah, it's, it's cool to see something and you've talked about it briefly before i know charles has been working on you with it but um it's nice to see uh the idea take take form um and something that you can share and i know you guys must be pretty proud of that i i, I have an appreciation for the amount of work that it took to, to pull that together so good job on that exactly and it's just one of those things we just keep keep working at it piece by piece and so you know, we just have a, have a clear vision and we just always know what the next step is. And so, for example, this past week, it was parsing that data and Charles played an instrumental role, uh, pun intended. And so, <laughs> um, yeah, I, it's coming together. So, and we're just going to keep at it and keep trying to help people. Well, I'm going to have to oh, yeah. I'm going to have to drop off here in a second, yeah. but I uh, started to, to cut you off there, Keegan, but I will reach out to you um, probably Thursday ish evening um, just to firm up things for Friday morning. Yes. Um, and so, I have to go back. Go ahead. Oh, no. Um, I, I bought the tickets to Canacon for me and my brother-in-law who will be coming. Uh, you'll meet him as well. Um, and I think I only bought. Is there like there's there's like uh, speakers, right? There's the convention floor, and then there's like these breakoff speaking events as well. Yes, and so if you you can, I would recommend getting the like the, the, I guess they call them seminars. So they're they're a bit extra. So they are the more expensive ticket, but I would recommend that at least for for Friday. Um, so. Typically, like the the seminars, first thing on Friday are the best. Um, so, uh, okay, I do like I'll be out of state till probably about one thirty, uh, and then I, I'll have to leave at that point. But we're going to get there as early as we possibly can. Oh yes, um, and like I said, it's not it's not critical. Um, and in fact, I think they they may record them, and I'll have I'll have notes and may record if they let me in so it's not critical um but i 
I just like to, people usually present their latest research or ideas. So I just, I think it's a good way to, you know, keep your ear to the ground. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Okay. Well, I do, I do have to drop. Please, so it was a good talk please. to everybody. We, we stayed way late today. So thank everybody for coming. And I hope you learned a bit. And next week, we'll touch base and maybe get back into the data since that's been neglected a little bit. All right. Well, when you're in Detroit, man, get some pizza. Really Detroit. good pizza. Oh. The best pizza. Well, if if uh, if Keegan can break away at lunchtime, um, my brother and I, we're going to take him somewhere good to eat. So maybe awesome. he'll end up being a Chicago, I mean, Chicago style, slapping the face, Detroit style pizza. <laughs> yeah, I mean, West Coast pizza is horrible. You really yeah. haven't had pizza until you've had pizza in Detroit. Well, I think it'll be worth a, yeah. Worth having fun with some pizza. So, <laughs> all right. But well, it was awesome. And then until next week, yeah, stay productive, everybody. Okay. Good talk right. to everybody. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye.